All right, all right. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Thanks for being lively. It's like we were all shut up with the rain yesterday, couldn't leave our houses, and we just are excited to be out of the house. I know we are. I know we're excited. Two two two-year-olds in our house. We were excited to get out today. We tried to go grocery shopping last night. You can imagine what what we got done at the grocery store. Um, Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 6. If you have your scripture journal, I think we only have two, maybe only one scripture journal left back there. We ordered 75, so either y'all have been forgetting them a lot, or a lot of people have gotten some scripture journals. Either way, we're excited we've been able to give away God's word to y'all. Uh, it's a really cool resource. We hope you're using it. We hope it's helped you follow along as we preach. Um, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first seven verses this morning. So I'm going to read God's word, and then Uh, We're going to try to walk through it. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we've been walking through the book of Acts since we ended the book of Luke, because Luke wrote both books. And so what we've been asking in the book of Acts is, how does the gospel move? How does the gospel move? We've seen that the gospel last week moves through generous people. We've seen that the gospel moves through people who are find their power and their boldness, not in themselves, but in God. And we've seen that the gospel moves through the power of the gospel message itself. That's really all we need to be proclaiming. And the gospel is going to move. It's going to change lives. And so today we come to Acts chapter 6 and we ask, how does the gospel move? How does the gospel move? And I hope this morning by reading this text, uh, it's going to be a chance for me in some ways just to unzip my chest and show you the mind of a pastor, show you the heart of a pastor. This is one of the first places that we've kind of seen how the early church functions in Acts 2 and Acts 4, but this is one of the first places you really see the structure of the church begin to change, and they've got to think through some things differently, but the context of Acts chapter 6 is that there was actually just some persecution at the end of chapter 5. I know we skipped over that. Feel free. Please go read that. Uh, but we skipped over it, and, and what happen, what's happening in Acts chapter 5 is they get arrested, they get beaten, they get freed, and look at what they say at the end of chapter 5. In verse 41, they'd just been arrested. They told them, you can't, you can't preach God's word. You, you have to stop. We've threatened you before. We're going to threaten you again, and we're going to beat you. And so what happened was Gamaliel steps up, and he says, look, we don't want to be seen as someone who's like holding back a true movement of God. So if it's not a true movement of God, it's not going to last. If it is a true movement of God, though, boy, we'd hate to be on the wrong side of history. So let's see what happens. Verse 41 in chapter five says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the presence of the council rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer. 
Amazing. Rejoicing that they were counted. I mean, they left and they looked at each other and they said, we were counted worthy to suffer just like Jesus suffered. They didn't take the, I mean, they rejoiced at that opportunity. It says, every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah that's come to save. So what's happening is that in the face of persecution from the outside, the church is continuing to grow. Look at the first couple of verses. The first, really, the first verse there in Acts chapter six says, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so there's growth, there's outward growth. But you can't even get to the end of that verse without seeing the other side of that. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So let's translate this, 21st century. Who's complaining against who and about what? Hellenists are complaining against the Hebrews. Who were they? Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Jews ethnically, but they spoke Greek. Hebrews were, they actually spoke Aramaic, but when they gathered for church, they would do their services in Hebrew. So there's this ethnic divide between Hellenists and Hebrews that already existed in the first century. But now these people are coming together in the church and these people who had typically been ethnically divided, worshiped separately, uh, had arguments and strong division against each other, were coming together in the same community. That's actually part of what was attractive in the first century that people thought the gospel was so powerful that it could unite ethnically divided peoples. But then once they get in the same family, what happened was they had grown, the church had grown to a point, increased in such number that administrative tasks were falling to the wayside, like widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, what is a daily distribution? We don't know exactly, but it's probably something like giving them money or clothing or food, providing for widows, because in the first century, when a widow's husband, when, when a lady's husband died and she became a widow, her husband was how she had a means of living financially, how she had a home, where she kind of found identities. So this woman was married, her husband dies, the church said, we're going to care for the widows. Again, that was something that was very attractive in the first century that the church said, we're going to take up that slack. We're going to care for these people. But what happened in the early church is that there was outward growth and inward conflict. Outward growth. Look at that in verse one. There was a growing number of disciples, but then there was inward conflict. There was ethnic division. There were administrative challenges and there were leadership deficiencies. Look at verse two. The 12, so the 12 apostles, they got the full number of the disciples together and listen to what they said. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You need to hear what they're saying and what they're not saying in that. They're not saying we're too important for that. What they are saying is God has uniquely and specifically called us to proclaim the word of God. So we can't stop doing that so that we can take care of these other things. God's called us to this. So they're not saying serving tables of widows is lesser ministry or illegitimate. They're actually saying it's so important we're going to bring everyone together and talk about who's going to do it. So here's the first point today. Healthy ministry is really difficult. Healthy ministry is really difficult. Because they're growing, right? What's not to be happy about? They're increasing in number. They're proclaiming the word of God every day. The word of God's increasing and multiplying. The number of disciples is multiplying. I mean, we already know there's multi-thousands of people who are a part of the church at this point. Rejoice, right? But with outward growth came inward division, inward conflict. So here's, here's an illustration that I think paints some of this picture. If you have children, imagine if your children only ever got bigger physically. They got taller 
They ate more. God bless them. They got stronger. They got fat. I mean, they're getting bigger physically. They're they're growing up into a full-grown body. But then imagine if inwardly, they mentally stayed the age of a toddler. Socially, they still interacted like toddlers do. Relationally, they still didn't know how to relate to people other than the way toddlers relate to people. In no way would you say that that person is 100% as healthy as they ought to be and God designed them to be. That's actually a lot of times what happens in foster care. It's that because of trauma in these kids' lives, even from a young, young, young age, an age where they might not have any memories, they'll experience trauma and it will set them back for the rest of their life. And it takes counseling and therapy to catch them up. And so a lot of times you'll have children in foster care who may be five, eight, ten years old, but they act two, three, four years younger than they really are because they've not been as healthy as they ought to be. And, and I think that's pretty obvious to us, right? If you're only ever getting bigger and more mature physically, but you're never maturing inwardly. You know, that there's that point in time where you go from being a college student and then you start to learn to get a job and you start learning to, well, I got to pay my bills. And I know for some of us, maybe that was in college, but there comes a point in our life where we begin to shift that responsibility. And we realize, man, I hung out with my friends every day in college and we had lots of fun and I can't do that. But then we've all, we've all got those friends who keep trying to do that. It seems like a few years too long, right? There's something unhealthy about that. And that's exactly what Acts 6 is saying. There's something unhealthy if all we ever do is grow numerically. Numbers in themselves don't tell the full story of health for the church. Numbers are great, right? Because we want more and more people to come experience a life in the gospel. We want to tell as many people as possible about the good news of Jesus, right? We would never want to keep that from people. But each number represents a person for whom Jesus died and for whom we have to care. So it's not enough for us to give them a one-time gift of the gospel and then say, now fend for yourself. That's not the way God designed the church. God designed the church to be a family that cares for one another. Healthy ministry is difficult because we don't get to pick and choose what ministries we care about. We don't get to say, you know what, I think we're more strategically gifted to just grow as big as possible. We're just not really good at the whole discipleship thing. So we'll let another church do that. We don't get to make that decision. The Bible has made that decision for us. And that makes ministry incredibly difficult. You know, the flip side of that is a church that only ever wants to stay inward and just keep talking about things of the heart. We only want to talk about trying to build each other up. And we just have this such inward focused community. It's impossible to get in for anybody to ever get in. And we actually never grow outwardly. And we never try to expand our territory of letting other people, bringing them in and proclaiming the gospel to them. And both sides are equally healthy, equally unhealthy. And so this makes ministry extremely difficult because numbers aren't the only important thing. But do you notice how the 12 apostles solved this problem? I love this. They brought the full number of disciples together. They called a family meeting. They said, all right, let's get together. Here's the problem. God's called us to preach the word. But we've got to care for the widows. We we can't ignore the widows. But we can't, we don't have the time to do it. They call it a family meeting. So here's the principle. Families solve problems together. 
We are better together. Last Sunday night, we had a great members meeting. It rained about 15 minutes before, and so we got about 20 texts saying, hey, we're not going to be there. And we totally understood because life is what it is. But we had a great family meeting where we just kind of cast a vision for what does it mean to be a part of Shalford? What does it mean to be a part of the family? And then we shared at the end, hey, here's some things we're praying for as a family. Here's some problems we see. Like I mentioned earlier, we're gonna need more building space. So we're praying through right now the options of what in the world are we gonna do when we, we think we can fit maybe 50 kids in here on a Sunday. And we're already averaging about half of that, 25. Some weeks we have 30 kids. So we've got to start thinking now, what in the world are we going to do? Well, here's why we want you to be a member. We want you to feel like we're going to call you in a room with a group of members and go, would you help shoulder this burden with us? Maybe God's called you to help be a part of the solution for it. If we need buildings, guess who knows nothing about buildings? Zero. And so I love this because the apostles are saying, hey, we can't do all the ministry. And that leads us to the second point, that <clears throat> healthy ministry is diverse. It's difficult because we don't get to pick and choose which ministries we want to do, but it's diverse because there's a lot of things we get the opportunity to do. Here's what we learn in Acts 6. Serving widows was just as legitimate as preaching God's word. Just as legitimate. One was not less important, one was not more important. But here's the principle. All ministry flows from the word of God. All ministry finds its validity in God's word. So I'm picturing this week like a, like a river. And if you've ever seen one of these maps, it's super cool. If I was Al, I would have a cool PowerPoint and I would have a picture up there, but uh, we can pass on that. I still didn't have a PowerPoint. <clears throat> but have you ever seen a map of a river and then all the little creeks and tributaries and streams that come off of it? Have you ever seen a map like that? It's unbelievable how far-reaching it is. I saw one recently because of the flooding that's happening in Arkansas. And they were saying, hey, if you're wondering why in the world is this area of Arkansas flooding, check this out. This river's flooding, so look at how wide of an effect it's having. But here's the truth, that if you have a river with creeks and streams and tributaries all coming off of it, going in all these different directions, they all trace back their source to the main river. And if you cut off the flow of the main river, those creeks and streams and tributaries, they'll dry up because they don't have anything coming from the source. That's exactly the principle with ministry in the local church. If you cut off the source of God's word, every other ministry doesn't have life. Every other ministry loses its validity. So serving widows finds its validity in the word of God. Why? Because the greatest way we can serve widows is by giving them God's word, helping them find life in Jesus. We should never ignore the flesh and blood needs that people have. People need to eat. People need shelter. People need relationships. People need money. People have different needs. Marriages need to be fostered and healthy. But all of that finds its validity under God's word. So healthy ministry, while it is difficult, it's also extremely diverse. So Here's a word that I think of when I read Acts 6 and that I kept reading this week, administration. I don't think what happened in Acts 6 is that nobody cared about the widows. I don't think that's what was happening. I think they really did care about widows. I think what happened is that there wasn't somebody with a checklist whose gift was the details looking at all the lists of widows and all the individual names going, she got it, she got it, she got it. She. 
I think what happened was there was an administrative gap. So here's the principle. Pastors are not supposed to take responsibility for doing everything directly. God has given the body of Christ to come alongside one another and every single person has a part to play in the body. They needed in Acts chapter six, someone with an attention to detail to make sure each and every person got exactly what they needed. So we have a simple phrase for this at Shalford. Body life. Because we're the body of Christ. So there's body life that happens here. And so here's the question we ask everyone. What's your part in the body? And I don't mean what team are you serving on? Although I hope you serve on a team. I hope you serve with Matthew and kids. I hope you start to serve with a connections team and hospitality. I hope you get involved in groups. We have ministries to help keep us aligned and moving. But I also think it's more informal than that. God's wired you in such a way. We say God's shaped you. He's given you gifts. He's given you a heart that's passionate. He's given you certain abilities and skills. We see that right here in this text. Do you see the way they described the people that they wanted to pass this off to? Look at verse three. Right after the apostle said, it's not right that we do this. Verse three, therefore brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom who we will appoint to this duty. Good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Find people that have a good reputation. What does that mean? A good reputation means other people can speak to the validity of your character, right? I was just talking to Clark this morning. He's getting a new job and they said, hey, uh, can we call some references, right? What are they gonna do with the references? Hey, tell me Clark's reputation. Does he work hard? What's he like? Tell me his personality. Do you think he'll fit good in this kind of role? Can he do these kinds of things? So what they're saying in Act 6 is find people that have good character, Find people that if you called their list of references, they would go, yeah, that guy's got, that lady has good character. That man has good character. They're a good person. Their reputation is good. But then look at the other side. Full of the spirit and of wisdom. Wisdom is like discernment, right? It's knowing the right thing to do. I love the decision-making triangle. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Right, there's, there's discernment. There's some skill in that. There's some competency in that. So what you have in these people that they're looking for is people with good character and people with good competency. Are they good people and do they have skills? Are they able to do things? But then don't lose this one, that sandwich in the middle, full of the spirit. All leadership in the church is spiritual leadership. There's no room for any other kind of leadership in the church. So if you don't have the spirit of God in you, if you're not being led by the spirit of God, you could be the greatest leader this world has ever known and you will be completely useless in the church because the spirit leads us to give all the credit to God, all the glory of God, lead people to be disciples of Jesus. So all leadership in the church is spiritual leadership. So what kind of leaders are we looking for at Shalford? What kind of people are we looking for at Shalford? We talk about praying Luke 10 too. Raise up leaders, God. What kind of people are we looking for? People with good character, good reputation. We want you to be good on the inside. Our prayer is that you'd be bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. That you have character greater than your influence. But then on the other side, God's gifted you. Just like these men in Acts 6, they had skills and abilities. So do you. And God wants to use them. Churches are not pastor shows. 
they're not for the people on stage. Do you realize how few, if you look at the percentage, how, how little ministry is done from the stage? Have you ever grasped that? Like we all come together and look at the stage together so, so it seems to matter, but we're up here for like an hour. And you go, no, it's like an hour 20. Okay, an hour 20. Do you know how many other hours there are during the week? Do you know how many other relationships you have during the week? Do you know how many other opportunities you have during the week? God's gifted you to be a part of what he's doing in in and through this church. So we pray you'd find a place here on a team somewhere. We we hope that if we don't have a place for you to serve, we want to talk to you and help equip you and shape you and empower you to say, how's God calling you to serve? How's God calling you to be a part of what he's doing here? Because healthy ministry, while it's extremely difficult because we don't get to pick and choose, we've got to grow outwardly and we've got to be healthy inwardly. It's incredibly diverse that there's so many other things we can do. Our Our ministry ought to be as diverse as the people who are a part of this church. Our ministry ought to be as diverse as the people who are sitting right here right now. Because you all have different gifts and different shapes to be a part of what God's doing here. So remember we're asking, how does the gospel move? The gospel moves as you all find your part to play. As you all find your place in the move of God. And let me assure you, you have a place. You have a place. So healthy ministry is difficult, it's diverse, and here's the third part. We've been alluding to it the whole time. Healthy ministry is done together. It's done together. It's not that the pastors take responsibility to do everything directly. Really, this is a Luke 10-2 issue. This is why we pray Luke 10-2. If you don't know, if this is new to you, we take an alarm every single day of the week. I set it at 10.02 a.m. because, Lord willing, I'm not, a, I'm not awake at 10.02 p.m. Okay, I'm early to bed. But 10.02 a.m., every single day, you can find me praying Luke chapter 10, verse 2. What does that say? Jesus tells his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest Raise up laborers for your harvest. That's what he's teaching his disciples to pray. Raise up laborers for harvest. Raise up workers for the gospel. We pray that every day at 10.02. This is a 10.2 issue. That God would raise up leaders, laborers, and servants to serve his purpose in and through the church. Here's the beauty of Acts chapter six. God, God had already provided Do you realize that? (laughs) They didn't say go go outside the church and find these people. They didn't say create a program to make these kind of people. He said go find these people. They're there. I don't know how much time elapsed between him saying go find them and then coming back with these seven names who by the way are all Hellenists. So the ethnic division, you know, these are all Greek names. That's why they're so like hard for me to say. But he, he takes these Hellenists and he says, hey, you come join the leadership team. There's gonna be no ethnic division in this church. You come join our leadership team and you help solve this problem. So I don't know how much time elapsed there, but God had already provided these seven men that they were looking for. And how does God provide for his church? Always, always, always he provides people. God is not into providing inanimate, inhuman things for his church. If the church needs money, Where does that money come from? It comes from God moving someone's heart to give it. So really, the the money's a non-factor, really. It seems like we need the money, but really what God's after is the heart of the person giving the money. If we need a building, guess what? We could go get a modular building and pop it out there, but guess what? We're gonna need some ADA-compliant decking. We're gonna need some covers. We're gonna need some sidewalks. We're gonna need some foundations. 
God's going to move on somebody's heart to be a part of that. Help us find the right people to do that. God's going to be moving in your, all that's, all that's a non-issue. God's after the heart of the person who's giving it. God's after the heart of the person who's being a part of it. God provides for his church always in the form of people. People are the gifts that God's given to the church. People. So part of what we hope to do at Shalford, we hope you feel this culture for us, is that you matter more than what you can offer us. You as a person matter more. So I, I pray we'd never have a culture of burning you out as a volunteer. We're asking so much of you that you go, daggum, I gotta step back. I'm tired, I'm empty. Because who you are matters so much more than what you give. Because who you are contributes so much to the church as it is. So God's already provided for this church. He provided for it in people. And so to bring this home today, I, I just wanna ask, do you know your part? I mean, do you really get a sense that God's called out of you, your gifting, your shape, your abilities? Do you know what he's called you to do to be a part of the church? And here's another question. Are you a part of a church? Has God called you into a spiritual family? Or are you out there being a, a, a Christian nomad? Or are you out there and you, maybe you don't even know Jesus this morning? And the first step for you is to come to know the Savior of your soul who gave his life so that you could have life. But then once you come to know Jesus, it's not like you come to know Jesus, then you join a church. You're saved right into a community. You cannot begin to obey the Bible by yourself. There are too many commands that tell you to do this with other people. We ought to be walking through life together. Relationships matter. And we'd love to be a place that you call home but we want you to know on the front end, if you call this place home, we hope you find joy in serving out of how God has shaped you. Because you're part of the answers to what we've been praying. Every single one of you. We're praying that people would come to know Christ. Maybe you're part of that answer. We're praying that we'll get to baptize people. Maybe you're part of that answer and you need to be baptized. We're praying for leaders. We're praying for servants. We're praying for volunteers. We're praying for people to be on fire, on mission in this community. Maybe you're part of the answer to that prayer. But do you know? Do you know your place in the body? I'm not asking do you know what ministry you ought to try to serve in. Again, that's a side issue. Do you know your place in the body? Do you know how God's wired you? I really don't want you to be fooled by the few ministry volunteer positions we talk about because there are so many needs here. I know we talk about a few. We talk about kids. We talk about, but there are creative ways to get involved in all these things. It's not just like you go teach a kid's class or bust, right? There's ways Matthew needs help planning the kids' ministry every week. You know, he walks through and sets up every single one of these classrooms. He prepares a snack for them. He puts a binder together for the teachers. He's sending emails during the week. Maybe, maybe somebody out there just got fired up hearing that. And well, I could do that. I would love to be a part of that. Did you know we, I'm not kidding, we really are going to need buildings to put more kids? Did you know Matthew's hoping to start a, a student ministry in the fall? Have middle school and high school students be a part of our church? And have a worship service directly for them where he's going to be preaching and teaching and the worship's going to be geared for them? Did you know he's going to be doing that? 
So here's what I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to be a part of the family this morning. I want to invite you to be a part of the family. Maybe you need to join this church and say, I want to be a member here because I want to be in the loop. I want to shoulder this burden. I mentioned earlier the connect card. Here's how we can do this this morning. I want you to take that connect card. And if you want to be a part of the family this morning, I want you to write that on there. And during the invitation, we've got these two tables. You can just come put it on the table. But if you want to be a part of the family this morning, write on that connect card and come put it on this table. But then for the rest of us, do you know your place in the body? If you do, I want you to let us know. Are you serving in your place in the body? Are, are you serving at all? Are, are, are you giving? Are you a part? Are you receiving? That's part of being in relationships here in the church is that you're not just giving, but you're receiving from other people. The church is a family and we're better together. So my prayer this morning is that we all find a place here in this family.